episode of the show. This is Missing the Point with Miles David, and I am your host. Thank you for tuning back in. Like I always say, and you guys are probably tired of hearing, but don't be that don't be that tired. If this is your first time listening, welcome on into the family. If you're a returning listener, I appreciate you. Hugs. Well, socially distant hugs because these variants out here. Woo! All right. <laughs> if you cannot tell by the title of today's podcast episode, we are going to be talking about Mr. Andy Roddick. That's right. Andy Roddick, the last man to win a Grand Slam singles champion from the United States of America, the one, the only A Rod with the massive serve and forehand and the personality to match it. So, this is going to be a really quick intro because I have been doing job interviews out the wazoo. No, no disrespect to Andy Roddy. I just have to get off this or get on this mic and get off this mic because I've been doing job interviews out the wazoo. I need to pack my bags to get to New York to the U.S. Open for the first time and knock it off my bucket list because I, my flight leaves in like less than 24 hours and I need to get my life together. So. Um, make sure you follow the podcast for updates on my journey in New York at Missing Point Pod on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and Clubhouse. I will be trying my best to update all of those platforms with the things I do in New York. But this episode is not about me going to New York. We did an episode about that already. Go back and listen to it. <laughs> we are going to just do a quick intro and autobiography for Andy Roddick before I let play two conversations that I've had with two of Andy Roddick's biggest fans. Before I let the conversation play and give a brief audio autobiography for Andy Roddick, please excuse the audio in the first half of this conversation. Um, things happen. You know, I just, you know, instead of just chopping the whole episode, which wouldn't make sense. And I've been there, done that before, cried about it. We're not doing that. We're going to push forward because Mary J. Blige said we're not crying no more. Okay. <laughs> so just excuse the audio. It's not terrible. There, there's just some choppiness in it. And, you know, like take it with a grain of salt. You're still going to enjoy the episode like you do every other episode. I'm sure. Anyway, um, let's get into Andy Roddick. Okay. Andy Roddick, a retired champion tennis player who in 2003 held both the Grand Slam title and the world's number one year in ranking. Andy Roddick, often called A-Rod, was born on August 30th, 1992 in Omaha, Nebraska. Pause, correction. Andy Roddick was born in, not in 1992, but in 1982. Sorry. <laughs> At the age of 18, he was named the top-ranked junior tennis player in the world, and he turned professional. In 2003, Roddick won his first Grand Slam tournament title over Spain's Juan Carlos Ferrero at the U.S. Open. Later that year, he ranked world number one, becoming one of the few American players to hold both the Grand Slam title and the world's number one ranking in the same year. In August 2012, he announced his plans to retire. He played in his last tournament, the 2012 U.S. Open, that September, losing to the fourth round or losing in the fourth round to Argentina's Juan Martin Del Potro. Andy Roddick is a former professional known most for his booming first serve and a good second serve and his powerful forehand. He is missed on tour, but we do get a lot of Andy Roddick on the Tennis Channel as a part-time commentator and his antics and just commentary are second to none so i'm going to let the conversations with two of andy roddick's biggest fans play thank you to both of you guys i really appreciate the time you took to be a part of this podcast you guys' conversations were great and without further ado enjoy the episode guys 
<laughs> Another one for the highlight reel. Okay, guys, we have a special second guest and a first timer up on the Missing the Point podcast. Not a not a I'm 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 I just practiced how to pronounce your name and I'm butchering it again so here we are <laughs> hi no problem <laughs> but it's 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 not about that it's about here it's about being here and talking tennis specifically Andy Roddick and Andy Roddick's second half of his career and I couldn't think of anybody else when I kind of put out there in the Twitter the Twitter sphere I believe my words were is there anybody that is an Andy Roddick fan and misses him on tour. And you were like one of the first people to be in my mentions and be like, duh, Miles, me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was like, you called? <laughs> yes, you were like, you rang. <laughs> <laughs> and yes, yes, I, I, I did not know that I put the bat signal out for you specifically, but I'm glad that I did. How are you tonight? I'm doing great. I'm very happy to be here because, you know, I love talking about Andy. <laughs> so... This you is have, awesome. You have to tell people what your Twitter handle is because it, it works oh, yeah. perfectly. Um, <laughs> at Rotic Rambling. <laughs> I'm very proud of it. You sound very proud of it. You were just telling me something that you did at school today. So tell people a little bit about you and tell, tell me what you were telling me about or tell the listeners what you were telling me about what you did today during your senior or one of your first days of your senior year, which congratulations, yes. by the way. I know um, it couldn't oh, have been thank easy. you. Thank you. <laughs> yes. Um, our school has this thing where there's like a senior parking lot. And today we had something called Chalk Your Spot where everybody got the chance to decorate their parking spots with chalk. And, of course, I had to write Angie Roddick's number one fan in bubble letters with different colors on my spot. And um, I was very proud of the final product. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you got tons of compliments. I would have given you compliments. Oh, yeah. Some people were coming up like, oh, who the heck is that? And then I would happily explain who the heck that is to them. So now you have to explain to the listeners how the heck you became such a Andy Roddick fan to have a Roddick Ramblings Twitter account and also be a senior in high school in the year of 2021. Because Andy Roddick retired in 2012 and he turned pro in like the early 2000s. So how did you stumble upon being such a such an emphatic Randy, Andy Roddick fan? I'm interested. Yeah, that's a fair question. Um <laughs> So I, I, I first, um, I've been playing tennis ever since I was little, and I play it all the time, and like all year round, and um, it was 2018, I remember June 23rd, 2018 was the night I became a tennis fan, and I don't know why I remember it specifically, but I do. It was just because of video, like I had been watching like um, point compilation videos for a while on YouTube. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden, like, uh, a video popped up in my recommended. It was like, oh, Federer and Nadal, best moments. And then I watched that. And I'm like, oh, these guys seem pretty cool. I think I should start, like, following tennis, following tennis players, watching the tour. And so that's where it began. And with Andy, it was just, like, slowly I would see those, like, oh, Andy Roddick's funniest moments videos on YouTube. Mm -hmm. And I'd see him all the time in these videos with Roger Federer and Rafael Nadal, where he's always like getting beaten by them. But <laughs> I, I don't know, I just I guess I kind of, I really admired him because he never seemed like, well, maybe in like the beginning of the year, kind of, he was like a little bit of a brat, but like, especially later in his career, after he got beaten by them so many times, he was still 
he still had so much class and he was such a like good person and he was so funny and I just I don't know I was really just drawn to his personality and before I he was like before I had tennis twitter before I knew about tennis twitter I kind of just thought like oh Andy Roddick he's pretty like prominent even though he doesn't really play tennis anymore I still kind of see his name sometimes he does interviews Mm -hmm. so surely like this is like a normal person that people still kind of follow so he kind of just showed up in my like um list of people that I really like as tennis players and I was like oh yeah I like Roger Federer, Rafael Nadal, Andy Roddick, uh, Serena Williams, Sam Vrinka and he'd just be in the middle of that list even though he's totally retired (laughs) and then only when I got on tennis twitter I realized that he doesn't really play anymore and um this is really kind of a rarity that i still kind of know him and um slowly over time i realized that he was just really really fascinating as a person and as a player and i decided that he was actually my favorite tennis player and i'm really happy that i came to that conclusion because he's just the best that is such a beautiful and organic story and part of the reason why I love this sport because there are like 10 million different ways you can be webbed and connected to a tennis player. It doesn't have to be a tennis player like from your quote-unquote generation. It could just be because you think the tennis player is cool and down to earth and funny and that is enough for you to like latch on to their career. So did you have to do like any um like backtracking and and like researching on his career up until a certain point for you to feel like a true Andy Roddick fan or Andy Roddick savant or connoisseur (laughs) um I think a little bit Uh, a lot of what I did was I went on like old fan sites Mm. and I would see like from the early 2000s things that other people posted about Andy and I would just read, they're like, oh, Andy has, like, a quarterfinal match at Wimbledon today. Wow, I hope he, like, wins. And I would kind of just, like, follow along with that. And I thought it was really interesting. And I was like, oh, I was really born in the wrong generation. Because <laughs> I wish I could have experienced, like, like maybe, like, live tweeting an Andy Roddick match or something like that. But I don't know. I just tried to do my research on what the fan experience must have been like. And obviously the matches, like, I knew a lot of the big ones because obviously Roger Federer and Rafael Nadal were there mm-hmm. and I knew like their matches. So I kind of knew that Andy was also like relevant. Um, so I, yeah, I knew like the Wimbledon losses. I knew the U S open, but I don't know. I, even today I'm still trying, I'm still learning more like, Oh, he made a title run here and Oh, he um, beat Rafa here. And I don't know, obviously, I don't think I'm ever going to be able to totally catch up on everything, but I'm Mm -hmm. trying. (laughs) I mean, that's all you can do. And like, you can, you can tell and hear from your passion that it is not just something that's like a fluke or something that you just like did one summer. And it's just like, it, it, you really do sound like Andy Roddick's or one of Andy Roddick's number one fan. And I'm sure he would appreciate that, especially knowing that his legacy is still permeating people or permeating through people that didn't necessarily watch him play. What more could you ask for in a tennis player or a professional tennis player that was kind of a celebrity in in some ways? I think he even realized the the access and the the power that that has for him to be more than a tennis player and more of more of a celebrity and just a public figure. I think that's really cool. Like I said, that he's still 
he's still gaining fans. Like, what, what, what more could you ask for, especially as he turns 39, almost 40 years old, and doesn't even swing a racket the same way he does and, and is more focused on commentating and, like, his, his um, nonprofit organizations and giving back to the community. It's just really cool that you found him and kind of found that connection. I, like, I, I think that's so, super, super dope for sure. So I guess I have a couple of questions. What is one of your favorite Andy Roddick matches that isn't one of his Grand Slam finals performances, if you can think of one? Okay, one that immediately comes to my mind is um, against Roger Federer in 2012 at the Sony Ericsson Open when mm. he beat Roger. And it was such a great performance. And I remember there was one service game of Rogers where Andy just hit four forehand winners in a row. And it was just incredible. Like he was playing so well. And I was really happy he was able to get that final win against Roger. It was actually the last time the two of them played against each other. And even though the head to head is a little um, uneven, kind of uneven <laughs> just a little bit, at least we can say that. Andy had the last laugh. He did. And I think I think the universe definitely showed its its way of 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 turning things full circle because he definitely deserved that. And you know, Roger has won billions of tournaments and Andy Roddick has won his fair share too, but I do like that both of the wins that Andy got over over Roger Federer were in Miami in the states and kind of deserving. You know, just very full circle universe being kind to Andy Roddick for once or twice in his career, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, just once or twice. Just once or, you know, just a couple of times. I mean, what what else? Life is tough. Yeah, <laughs> that it's Andy Roger Roddick was, I think, I know, right? I mean, can you imagine, like, he, we, we talked in the first half of this, ep of this episode about, like, the, the beginning blocks and the building blocks of his career. Can you imagine being, like, the guy that everybody around you thought was going to be this massive superstar and for all intents and purposes Andy Roddick is a superstar but then in comes this nice little fair guy from Switzerland and yep. does and, and does everything that you do in some ways just a tad bit better and does it on the biggest stages and you're the one holding the runner-up trophy and he's the one holding the big golden trophy you know it's not it's like it's not fair. <laughs> right, exactly. Oh, I would have killed Roger. I don't know how Andy did it. <laughs> and he, I mean, like, it's hard. And then Andy would be the first person to tell you, like, yeah, I kind of wanted, I, I wish he was a jerk because it would make me, e it would make it easier to yeah. kind of go out there and, <laughs> right. and, and whoop up on him. But he wasn't. And he still kept beating Andy. <laughs> oh, yeah. He said, I'd love to hate you, but you're really nice. That kind of sums it up. I have to, so there's two things. I'm, I'm pretty sure there's a clip on YouTube of him saying that. I think that was in Cincinnati, wasn't it? I'm not entirely sure. I guess I'll do some research after this. We'll, we'll have to put together the YouTube playlist and put it in the podcast description, but I'm pretty sure the 2012 highlights between Roger and Roddick in Miami are on YouTube. Somebody has to upload that, right? Like, it has to be. Right. There. I, I've there. watched I've watched like highlight videos from that match many times. <laughs> Whenever well, I'm feeling down. <laughs> Whenever you're feeling down, I get it. I feel that way about Serena Williams matches sometimes because there's a boatload of those on YouTube yes. for sure. So those you, are great at lifting my mood. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> so when you when you watch Andy Roddick videos, 
even though he is like the king of Lacoste and Lacoste might not be the most fancy or the maybe fancy is actually a word I would use to describe Lacoste, but maybe they're not the most boundary pushing um, apparel line. Do you have like yeah. a favorite Andy Roddick Lacoste shirt that comes to mind? Um, Lacoste. I, I mean, he does. I, I did like the what they did in 2009 at Wimbledon with the black sleeves. I don't mm. know. I just feel like that was really memorable. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Lacoste, like you said, they aren't very... Um, they didn't very, break the box. <laughs> you're right, right. They're just kind of doing one thing. They weren't really changing it up. But one, um, I did like Andy's Reebok days. <laughs> The the person I interviewed before for the first half of this episode definitely said the same thing. I, it was the mm-hmm. visor and the spiky hair and oh, the Babylon I love the visor. <laughs> it it was just all nostalgia vibes. And, and I loved I loved all the the shirts they gave him were like dark like dark greens and maroons. They looked so good on him. And then Lacoste then Lacoste just gave him like gray and. <laughs> Like they, they that basically weird gave him color block, thing. yeah, white and black, and then some <laughs> color blocking, and you could always see him just. He was the perennial guy that would move his shoulders up before he served or before anything. Right. He would always yeah. move his shoulders up. I thought that was really cool. <laughs> that was like his thing, like his ritual. Um, you mentioned the 2009 Wimbledon final. Should should we go there? Sure, I guess we might as well. <laughs> let's take a let, let's take a journey back to 2009. So. I think going into 2009, Andy Roddick knew, like, there was some sort of feeling in the air, and specifically going to that Wimbledon final. Had he won Queens the 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 week before that? I'm not 100% sure. Um, I, should, I, I don't should think so. That. I think it might have been Andy Murray who won it that, that year. Yeah, that, that, that may have been true. That, that may have been true. But for some reason, it kind of just felt like Andy Roddick was gaining steam. Because I remember there are a couple of matches from that 2009 Wimbledon that I remember very vividly. The quarterfinal that Serena played against Azarenka and the semifinal, which is pretty legendary, that she played against Dementieva. And I also remember, obviously, the final that Andy put Andy played against Roger Federer in 2009 that I think is more watchable or rewatchable for a drama effect than the final of the year prior that everybody says is like the greatest match of all time how do you yeah. gauge those two like 2008 final 2009 final as to which one is better I know I you're a little I know you're a little to... bit um uh what's um. the word <laughs> impartial or partial to one of oh, them. Oh, right. I, yeah, I think uh, I would have to agree with you because um, Roger and Rafa already had like a steady rival going and a rivalry going. And even though there was the whole clay versus grass thing, they both ha- they had a pretty even head to head and there wasn't too much desperation about it. And I feel like in 2009, it was more about like ultimatums. Like Roger was going for the record-breaking 15 on the men's side and um andy was trying to beat roger at a grand slam he was trying to win wimbledon and they've had their two finals there in um 2004 and 2005 and i guess i don't know andy after beating in uh, beating murray in the semifinals i bet he thought like he was so close and he said that going into the final he had like a game plan 
like he had a like a really good game plan that he wanted to um implement and then going into the final he's like he was saying that it was working and his game plan was working and i think that's what made the final so high quality is because andy knew what he was doing going into the final and he was willing to execute it and roger was kind of like maybe in the beginning taken aback but then he also just countered the level and it just got to be to got to this place where you're like oh my god these two guys are playing so well and obviously there was that tiebreaker in the second set where Andy could have, he could have he could have <laughs> gone up two sets to love it was 6-2 and then Roger Federer won um eight straight points to take that and ugh, it was just it's just it happens it's tennis it's just ugh, you just think like what if it's why we love it and why we hate it all wrapped into one thing. exactly mm. And I feel like Andy Andy feels that way about tennis now. Like I'm sure he would never, he wouldn't if he could change one thing. He probably would would probably hit that volley into the open court or just do whatever he could to win that Wimbledon final or and become a Wimbledon champion. Because he said as much that sometimes it haunts him a little bit or gives him a little feeling in his gut to come back as like a three time finalist and never a champion. But how many people can say they've been to the Wimbledon final three times? You know, there's not that many people that can be invited to that party, you know? Right. And one thing I like about Andy was even after everything was said and done, he was like, look, I played on like the biggest court in tennis. I did the best that I could. And the crowd was like chanting my name. So he, and he said like, my worst day in tennis was probably some people's would have been people's best day in tennis. So I think he had a really good perspective about it where he could still see the good in what had happened. And he could still recognize that he didn't fail, that he did a good job and that he was being recognized for that. That's why it's easy to kind of look back and appreciate Andy Roddick because by the time this episode comes out, it'll be close to 18 years since his 2003 U.S. Open victory, which is insane. Like, <laughs> like our 18-year-olds are like seniors in high school. Like, <laughs> and exactly. still, there still hasn't been a, a, a U.S. Open or any major Grand Slam singles trophy winner from the U.S., and it's still Andy Roddick. And I think even when that day comes and somebody breaks that 18-year-plus streak or drought, I should say, people are still going to appreciate Andy Roddick for his contributions, mainly because of like the things we've been talking about already, his wit and his determination and his huge serve and the way he just appreciated the sport that was so good to him. And because of how he went out, I think he realized that there was a, when he retired in 2012, I think he realized that there was a certain level that the game was getting to. And he respectfully declined <laughs> on yeah. he was just like you know what i've been doing this for over a decade now and you guys are getting to a place where I, like i don't have the the legs in me to go to this next level so i'm gonna bow out and i hope you guys have enjoyed the ride and that's kind of how it felt when he retired at the u.s open yeah would you agree yeah, I think it was really smart of him because he said he didn't want to start to resent tennis. Mm. He didn't want to like go and, like just like play every single day and get beaten by all these newer, faster players. 
he didn't want anything like that to happen. So he realized that it, he would have to retire. And I think like once you start thinking about the retirement, you can't stop thinking about it. And to him, it made the most sense. Like this would be the, this would be a good time to bow out because could you imagine like you start hating tennis and then when you finally do retire, you're probably not going to want anything to do with it ever. So I think yeah, you're going to really be like, oh, no exhibitions for me. I don't want to come back right. to the championship, the championship like party or do any kind of interviews about it. Yeah, that's not. And then you kind of lose sight of how much you loved it to get to that point, you know? So that exactly. makes total sense. Did you watch his match against Juan Martin Del Potro or watch the highlights of it in 2012? Yeah, I watched the highlights of it. And honestly, I was happy that it was um, Del Potro because um, in the next round was Djokovic. <laughs> and it would not have been fun if Andy lost his last ever professional tennis match to Djokovic. Especially because, um, not to brag, but Andy is actually the only player who's um, played Djokovic more than four times to have a positive head-to-head against him. Mm. So, yeah, I think that's goat debate material. <laughs> right there. Um, but, but, yeah, um, the, Del Potro was just really, really nice, and he let Andy have the time during his encore interview. And I think Andy's interview was his like goodbye to tennis was so beautiful because he was saying like, I know I'm not scared to leave tennis because I know what's waiting for me when I leave. I know he had his family, he had his foundation, he had direction. I think one problem with a lot of tennis players when they retire is that they don't know what they're going to do next in their life. And not even in tennis, but anybody who retires, they suddenly like, some people just don't have a direction anymore. But Andy knew what he was going to do. He had a clear plan. And I think that's what's caused him to just be so successful and grounded in his, as he calls it, his afterlife, his tennis afterlife. You know, before we go into his afterlife, because there are some things that he's really good at in this so-called tennis afterlife. We talked briefly about Novak Djokovic, and there's a period of time between 2008 and 2009 where I don't think either of them would be handing out dinner reservations to the other. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. Um, and you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's so funny that one of the few times that they played at the U.S. Open was the last time that the U.S. Open was aired on the USA Network um, before the USA Network switched over to CBS for the final weekend coverage. And that match they played, I believe it was a quarterfinal in 2008. Yes, it was a quarterfinal in 2008. They had had like pre-match words and I'll put as much as I can or can find in the YouTube playlist so you guys can understand the backstory of why there was so much tension in that match. Djokovic ultimately wins it, but that's after Roddick has made his comments basically insinuating that Roddick, excuse me, that Djokovic is... (laughs) <laughs> either the either the strongest and most willed guy on tour or somebody who's always sick and always has an injury or somewhere in between. He said he basically had <laughs> the bird flu and a hip problem. And oh, <laughs> sorry. Sorry. Common cough and cold. 
classic 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 Andy Roddick lines and their mm-hmm. match kind of lived up to the hype for the tension wise Andy didn't get the win because Djokovic at that point he was you know he had won a grand slam in the, at the beginning part of 2008 at the Australian Open and just was a little bit too solid for for Andy on the day but what do you what do you think overall about like their robbery and their tension in that match and then they played in the very next grand slam at 2009 Australian Open where Djokovic was defending and <laughs> for all intents and purposes, Andy Roddick's um, accusations showed themselves to be very accurate at the time <laughs> during that right. 2009 match. Um, there is one thing I would like to add that there was a locker room confrontation between the two of them. Um, I forget what year it was and what tournament, but um, I think it was after the 2008 match, actually. Okay, I think it was, yeah. <laughs> I think it was after Djokovic made the because Djokovic insinuated that Roddick wasn't nice for his pre-match yeah. uh, uh, comments on the mic. You know how they do like the on on court interview right. after the match. Basically, Djokovic brought it up and he got booed by the crowd. And I think Roddick was probably waiting on him in the locker room afterwards, and it it probably wasn't a nice scene. <laughs> yeah, so like Andy like cornered him against the locker. But then apparently he saw that Djokovic's trainer was, or physiotherapist or somebody, was just really, really tall and could easily, like, outpower him. So then he backed off. But, you know, it's funny I would that, have liked that to see almost it. happened. <laughs> and, it, and we didn't find out about it until an interview, like, a long time later. And the funny thing is, this interview, like, got deleted from YouTube, but I found a video that has this video in it. So maybe I'll, I'll link it into the playlist. Yes, but he's absolutely. Like, he's like... He's like, yeah, I don't want to name any names, but his name rhymes with Shmovak Shmokovich. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, classic Andy. It's just really funny that that almost happened. I would have liked to see it. Who would you put money on if they were just, if, if the trainer mm-hmm. wasn't there and they were to go head to head? Who would you oh, put money on? Oh, if the on? trainer wasn't there, definitely Andy. <laughs> he just looks like he could totally do it. <laughs> and Djokovic looks like he would be like, Djokovic is a great player. Sorry, Novak fans, if you're listening to this, although I'm not sure how many Novak fans I have that listen to my podcast. <laughs> but if, you're listening, if you're listening to this, then Novak doesn't seem like the guy that would have your back in a bar fight. He seems like the guy that would yeah. like pay the tab right. and leave a tip and just get the hell out of there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Good, good times. Good times. Well, Let's let's transition to what Andy Roddick is doing now. And basically, he is still giving his two cents plus a little extra as a commentator and broadcaster on the Tennis Channel and some other networks as well. But since the pandemic started, I feel like I've gotten to know Andy Roddick about as well as or if not more so than I knew him as a player now that he's like on my television screen or on my television screen via zoom doing doing tennis channel interviews and broadcasting and stuff like that have you caught any of his like really funny or sarcastic moments in the past year or so yes i when i first saw this was like during the beginning of the pandemic when i saw on twitter that he was like hey tennis channel i'm looking for a job i was so excited and when tennis channel was like oh yeah why don't you send us like your resume I, I was really, I was like, okay, this is going somewhere. But I would, I would have not, um, I could not have imagined that he'd still be on Tennis Channel even now talking. Like, it's just been the best. And it's really been such a great thing for Tennis Channel 
because I feel like he brings a lot more energy to the show and obviously he has so much to say and I don't know every time he's on the show I feel like when I listen to one of his segments I'm just like wow this guy really 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 knows tennis Mm -hmm. like like sarcastic like funny comments aside he has such a great tennis IQ whenever I hear him talk about these people's strategies or just their mentalities or like just basically like any sort of um thing from matches he could name everything and he knows everything it's crazy his his tennis brain is quite large he for a guy that people used to just say was a big serve and pretty much that's it he showed that he actually was thinking out there and has a brain that works you know exactly yeah, I'm just really proud of him for, like, showing up on Tennis Channel, every, like, not every day, but many days, and he always has great takes, he always says his mind, um, there's always, like, laughter and just, like, fun moments, and, um, yeah, I, I would really like to see him commentating for matches. I know he did that, like, a couple, I like, I think he did it for ago. the BBC during Wimbledon, from what, from what right. my research has I shown. think it was 2015, it might have mm-hmm. been, 2015 or 2016. He but, has a really yeah, good voice for it, he does. I, I want to watch some clips from that, because I have not, like, heard his commentating voice, but now I'm really intrigued, and I would love for him to do it again. I want to see him, like, move from, I mean, granted, you know, pandemic, and he has like a family and stuff, and I don't know if he's willing to relocate. But um, if we could get him in person, for whatever reason, I feel like the the vibes would go up a little bit more, and they're already super high. So imagine him just in person in the Tennis Channel studios. But he made some comments not too long ago about how the tennis media world doesn't really have the same metrics for every single player that they report on, and he was basically. Um, insinuating that Sasha Zverev, who just won the title in Cincinnati and won a gold medal this summer in Tokyo, there are some things that are going on in his off-court life, and we don't have to get into them here. All you have to do is Google Zverev and maybe ex-girlfriend, and you should come up with something interesting to read. I'll leave it at that. But the tennis media doesn't really do a good job of making sure that information is permeating through our minds and becomes a good talking point. But Roddick just ripped the bandaid off of it and was like, how come there are so many things that he does on and off the court that we kind of have to slither around and like, you know, play patty cake with, but anything, anytime Naomi Osaka does something or Nick Kyrgios or even Serena Williams does anything, it's like headline news. But for some reason, Sasha's bear of stuff is off limits. And when I watched him say that, I was just like, Oh, this probably wasn't in the production notes. <laughs> yeah. They, they probably did not tell him to say this at all. And it was probably very authentic and genuine. Did you get that vibe? Oh, yeah. I, I think Andy's always been good at calling out double standards, especially with Serena over the years. Like, you know, that one, the U.S. Open final in 2018, he was absolutely livid. And um, he was saying, like, I've said like way worse things to umpires and I have not gotten any penalties and I think it's really like good of him he's it was like really self-aware he's a very self-aware guy and the fact that he can recognize all those double standards really just like shows his character and now when he's talking about Zverev I think it was really important that he start the conversation 
Um, I, I don't know if like everybody on tennis channels under some sort of contract to not talk about what's happening with Zverev, but I don't know. I feel like is it, Andy did a, Andy made a good first step. I'll say that it was a good first step. I a would needed like step. See, a needed step. Yeah, sure. definitely a needed step. I would like to see more. I don't know if I'm asking too much of Tennis Channel, but <laughs> especially now that the new article came out today. Oh, um, today? Yep, a new article came out, and it's it's devastating to read, but I think it's really important. But, mm. um, you know, it's just, I feel like there needs to be more of a conversation around that. So kudos to Andy for starting it. Um, I just wish there were more, you know? Yeah, I think I, I, hopefully he pushes the envelope and the envelope opens up to have the conversation that tennis needs to have with keeping its superstars um, as close to the line of accountability as possible when they are accused or in, 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 in the same vein of things that are against the law, basically. Like, just because you're a famous tennis superstar that has brand deals and makes millions of dollars or has a net worth of million dollar plus doesn't mean that you are above a certain, uh, above the law, basically. And I think Andy Roddick wants to make sure that we all know that. And it's not necessarily about bringing this particular player down, Sasha's very because somebody doesn't like him or somebody doesn't appreciate his style of play. But if you do something that harms someone else and is literally against the law in the country you live in and was done in, in a certain country in America that is against the law and has punishable offenses, just because you are a professional athlete doesn't mean you get to avoid those punishable offenses. And I think that's a conversation that Andy Roddick is really smart and bold and and it's it's just really encouraging to see him lead that conversation in the past couple of days. Yeah, I'm very happy about that. I just the the circumstances, I wish they could be better, but it's important yeah. that we get the conversation started. I mean, I I'm glad, I, I wish it wasn't I wish it wasn't about Sasha's Zverev and his accusations, but it is, and it's uncomfortable to talk about for a lot of people. But I'd rather I'd rather somebody like Andy Roddick, who people respect in the sport, be the person to spearhead and make sure that media and journalists and people around the sport talk about this instead of sweep it under the rug. Because the more you sweep it under the rug, the more some other person that's in tennis is going to internalize this as well. If I do something similar, then the same is going to happen to me. And that just, con that continues the cycle of abuse and just yucky stuff that nobody really wants to see happening when all we're really here to do and sign up for is watch tennis and watch that lime green ball go back and forth really, really fast. <laughs> like that's, that should be why we're here and we should be celebrating the athletic achievements and the dedication that it took to get to the level, not the other stuff. And if the other stuff does come up, then it should be dealt with accordingly and not pushed under the rug just because of somebody's financial or celebrity status, you know? Couldn't have said it better myself. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I didn't realize I was on a, a high horse. Let me get off of my high horse here. <laughs> no. Good. Is there anything that we did not talk about? I mean, it, it's it's kind of hard to put a 10-year career, a 10-year-plus career into a one-hour-ish podcast, but is there anything that we did not mention about Andy Roddick's wonderful career that you wanted to mention before we get out of here? 
Um, I guess one thing I would say about like his like foundation yes. was um uh, that was started when he was really young because uh one of his idols was Andre Agassi growing up, and when Andy was like the the big new U.S. tennis star in his teens when he was like showing a lot of promise, he did a lot of events with Agassi, and he would get to talk with Agassi a lot, and then he would ask him like, "Oh, what's one of your biggest regrets?" And Agassi told him not starting my foundation sooner. Mm. And Andy really took that to heart and started his foundation right away. And it started with just like fundraisers and parking lots. And now here he is with the Andy Roddick Foundation. And it's one of the most successful um, after school programs in the entire country. And I'm just really proud of him because I've watched so many videos of just him interacting with the kids and just all the great things that the foundation is doing for people and for the children in like Austin, Texas. And I don't know, it just, it really makes my heart happy. And I'm really proud of him for like taking that first step back when he was just a teenager. He didn't know where his career was going to go. And now he had his foundation to work with after he retired. And it's just been this really big, like proof of like longevity in his life and yeah it's just a really great thing it is for for how much talk about how many trophies he could have possibly won and he won quite a bit i think he won over a lot more hearts and i think that's an even beautiful story to be left with and i know as somebody who appreciates him more now that he's gone i wish i would have appreciated him when he was actually playing but um the impact that he has on tennis is still relevant even when he's not hitting 145 150 mile per hour serves on the tour and that's a beautiful thing and that's something that is going to probably mean more to him than a grand slam trophy so that's that's really beautiful and i'm I'm glad that you brought up his foundation because you know things like that aren't always on the bullet list of a player's career but in actuality it's something that probably he would list as really far up in something he's proud of that he's that he's he brought to fruition and is a part of you know exactly i think yeah it's definitely something when he looks back at his career i'm sure he's really really happy that he started it early and um i don't know i feel like it's grounded him throughout the years um just and he like even when he was younger he would go to all those um foundation galas and even today there's all those foundation galas and they're doing all those fun fundraisers (laughs) And I don't know, it's just so cool to see something that he started when he was so young being so successful now. He deserves it. He deserves his place. He deserves in, in it, yes. He deserves the love that we're giving him on this podcast. And he deserves a Twitter <laughs> account um, almost dedicated to him called Roddick Ramblings. <laughs> <laughs> he deserves that. Is um, Just as I said, Roddick Ramblings, do you want to tell everybody where they can find you um, and, and hear your ramblings on Roddick? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, that's my Twitter handle, at Roddick Ramblings. Um, yeah, that's basically just where I, uh, try, I made basically my Twitter, um, my everyday routine is I look up Andy Roddick and I find the latest things. And sometimes it's just random people in Andy's mentions complaining about, I don't know, weird political stuff. But then other times there's like fun old Andy videos or Andy photos. And then I try and post about it. And I also annoy Andy a lot in his mentions, trying to get him to talk to me. Has, but, he, has uh, he ever said anything yet? 
Yeah, he has actually a couple times. Oh, yay. Um, he's, yeah, one time um, he was actually kind of going back and forth with some Djokovic fans over, <laughs> Who doesn't? I forget what, it could be anything, <laughs> honestly, with those people. But anyways, you know, like they're all, all the Djokovic fans on Twitter have the crocodile emoji yep. in their names because like Lacoste. So, um, which is interesting that like, they share a brand now. Right. It's so funny. <laughs> I was like, I, I um, tagged Danny. I'm like, thanks for your, ser- thank you for your service against the crocodile emojis to get today. And, he, and then he responded like, thanks, that's funny. <laughs> and I was like, oh my god, Andy Roddick said I said something funny. So I feel like yeah, you guys would have a great, a great conversation over coffee at a Starbucks. I feel like that um, would happen one day and one should day. happen. If if Andy ever listens to this, then hopefully Andy, you should invite. Yeah, Andy, Nade if you're listening, Starbucks, hit me up. <laughs> you know where to find me. <laughs> Erotics ramblings. There you go. <laughs> Well, this has been fun. Thank you for coming on to the podcast and agreeing to do it. Thank you for for seeing my bat signal and coming to my rescue. I appreciate it. You're very welcome. I'm really happy that I did this. This was super fun. And hopefully you will not be a stranger to the show and come on again because there's going to be you. You just you just come across like somebody who has really fun and interesting ways to talk about tennis and that's what the podcast is all about so this is an open invitation anytime you want to talk about something get it off your chest you can come over thank you very much i think i'll take you up on that (laughs) (laughs) It it would be my pleasure for sure this has been a great conversation so if you've made it this far into the episode which i hope you have and i hope you've enjoyed it I did mention at the beginning that there were two conversations I recorded and I meant it. There were two conversations that I recorded in Rhetoris. If you're listening to this, I apologize. I do not know what I did, what I clicked, what I did not click, what I did not rename in GarageBand to make sure that your audio was kept in the sequence um, that it was supposed to be in. And I'm not going to cry about it. Like I said, at the beginning of this podcast, the most I can do is laugh it off and chuck it up to the fact that I am not a podcast editing savant. Like I am a tennis savant. Okay. Like it's just not my wheelhouse yet. The podcast is almost a year old and I still mess up on, on podcast audio. It's okay though. It's okay. Like Rome wasn't built in a day. I can't cry about it. All I can do is laugh about it because what else am I going to do? All I can do is invite you back onto the show and maybe I will put the audio that I still have saved in my computer somewhere in a blooper reel or like a you know, never, never before heard podcast episode that I do in the future. So I'm not crazy. My computer is and <laughs> doesn't listen. And we're not on the same chapter in the same book every single time. Either way, um, Andy Roddick, if you ever listened to this, I hope you enjoyed it. I miss you on tour. Hope you can come on the podcast one day. Uh, Nade loves you as well, obviously. Thank you again, Nade, for your wonderful conversation and for your erotic ramblings. Wink, wink. <laughs> if you enjoyed what you heard in today's episode, please do check us out on all social networks at Missing Point Pod. Subscribe to the podcast so you get notified of new episodes. Review the show on Apple Podcasts because that really helps us grow and gets to more people. Click on the podcast description for more information and check out the YouTube playlist that I'll link in the podcast description so you can get to know and see more footage of Andy Roddick in action. And don't forget to send us your questions and feedback to missingpointpod at gmail.com. Until next time, guys, have a good week. Take care 
and talk to you soon. Bye-bye.